Whiskey for the Ages is not sponsored or endorsed for any product or program mentioned in this show and receive no remuneration from their creators. Guys, and I'm speaking directly to the guys out there, we've got a special show for you. A show we shouldn't need to do, but an important one just the same. In this podcast, we'll be delving into how women navigate the traditionally male-dominated world of whiskey. I'll be interviewing my daughters, Hannah and Laura, two independent women who are passionate about their whiskey. We'll discuss the challenges they've met while purchasing their favorite pours, and hopefully, We'll uncover a few ways we can help. Join us as we break down the diversity of individuals who love and appreciate quality whiskey and explore the experiences of these two young women and what they've endured. Let's bring them in. Hannah, Alora, welcome. Hello, Hannah here. Hi guys, it's Alora. I know you introduced yourselves in the inaugural episode, but I'd like our listeners to learn a bit more about you. Tell us a little about your background, what drives you, who you are, and most of all, what are your favorite pours? After all, you're more than just my daughters. Well, my particular background, I have a master's degree in anthropology with a specific focus in forensic anthropology, meaning that I don't know if anybody's ever seen the television show Bones, but going out into the field, recovering human remains and trying to put a positive identity to them and returning them to their families. That was my primary goal all during college. I spent a long time uh, doing that. I've gotten to work with a whole bunch of different law enforcement agencies all the way from uh, city police all the way up to the FBI. I consider myself to be pretty fortunate in that regard. I worked on quite a few pretty monumental cases. I'm pretty proud of all of that. Naturally, I'm a pretty driven person. I'm quite ambitious. I'm what probably a lot of people would say is punchy. <laughs> I don't, I, I see things that I want done and I find a way to achieve that. Therefore, I like my whiskeys to reflect that kind of personality as well. I like high proof pours. I like high fruit flavored pours. Tonight I've got some Weller Antique 107, but really I love Old Forester products like Old Forester 1920. I love Larceny Barrel Proof products. I love Stag Jr. I love E.H. Taylor. Things in that vein. I definitely don't want to pin it down to what is my favorite pour because. I, I could get stuck there all day. That's always a tough question to answer. People will ask, what, what's your favorite? Yeah. You have to be in the mood for it, honestly. Yeah. Like, 
for example, I'm drinking some Buffalo Trace, and usually I don't go for Buffalo Trace, but like if I were to say what my favorite whiskey is, I would probably say, again, Old Forester, Larcenies. If a bourbon is higher proof, I'll like it, um, as long as it's not too high. I, I'd like it to not overwhelm me. As far as my background goes, I am a musician. I went to college uh, to pursue a music performance degree with the specialization in clarinet studies and performance. And while I was at school, I had uh, the fortune of playing in numerous ensembles, including the University Wind Ensemble, the uh, community symphony and all around I just had such a fun experience so how that kind of compares with bourbon you know there's all sorts of colors and sounds and musical combinations that you get when listening to music like I, I can say you're listening to a very very bright sound coming from the trumpets well bright is a really abstract word because when we think bright, it's like, wow, I can tell that that's obvious. But bright also can mean citrusy, you know, like it's, it's just shining. It's just kind of like that. So I kind of try to see what kinds of flavors and what kinds of adjectives I can use that sort of combine what I'm drinking with what I'm listening. I'm sure that you guys have noticed with my reviews that I put in a bunch of songs in it and that's just kind of like what am I hearing like what what kind of bourbon goes with or what kind of song goes with this bourbon so yeah you're yeah. very right-brained and I'm very left-brained yeah. <laughs> we get told that all the time that we are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum but we're I I th I, I will say it we're both pretty good at Oh yeah, uh, at where we're at. And here and I am stuck in the middle with you. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody ought to write a song. <laughs> so tonight, I'm drinking some Baker, some single barrel Baker. Oh nice. So 107, uh, kind of nice, kind of nice. So we're going to roll right into our uh, show tonight, Women in the Liquor Store. So that's our topic, and... Uh, we're going to go beyond the store a little bit, maybe talk about bar pours and things like that. But both of you are extremely knowledgeable when it comes to bourbon and American whiskey in general. Yet, I'm aware that there have been challenges when you've gone to make your whiskey selections. I have to say, as a guy, I don't have trouble there. But as a dad, I've been privy to some conversations that are, frankly, pretty interesting. So let's shift in and engage into our topic where we all can learn a little from your experiences and gain a better understanding of these issues. Are you ready? Oh yeah, sure. Let's go, let's go. So my first question is for either of you. Can you give me an example or two of what we're talking about here? So we're going along the lines of as a woman, I go into any liquor store, maybe I'm trying to put in an order at a bar or even just at a restaurant and the kind of looks I might get, or the kind of questions I might get, or anything along those lines. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Typically, I 
I both experience this sort of thing, and I also don't. See, whenever I'm ordering whiskey, I'm usually with Dad and Hannah. So, in reality, I really don't care what people think of me in that in that regard because I'm like, look, I, I'm there to drink bourbon. I'm really not there to get judged. I'm not there to be like, oh my God, she's drinking bourbon. She's drinking whiskey. Like, what? No, I'm there to drink bourbon. That's my goal. That's, that's my goal of the night. I'm there to drink bourbon. But on the other hand, when I do tell people that I drink whiskey, I'm more likely to catch them off guard. Like, wait, you drink whiskey? And yeah. I'm like, yeah. Because sometimes it's not even when we're actually at a store or a restaurant. It's casual conversation when this comes up because we run a podcast. We, we have a whole website. This is a large part of our lives. So it comes into conversation pretty often. And... We can get those those looks, the stigmas there, uh, all surrounding that. And from my perspective, when I bring it up, you know, I'll be at work or wherever I am, and I'll say something about my daughters and I have a whiskey review website. Oh, really? They're, they, it's taken off guard, whereas I think if I just said I run a website, it would be handled completely different. Maybe. Yeah, yeah probably. Maybe. So kind of moving on here, um, Hannah, this probably pertains to you more than that it does to Laura, but Laura, chime in. Have you ever been overlooked or ignored by a bartender, let's say, as you've gone in to purchase whiskey? Oh, yeah, uh, <clears throat> definitely. Um, a lot of the time, if I want to be having a whiskey and I'm at a bar, um, if I'm not looking my most feminine self, so to speak, um, I probably am going to get a little overlooked. Otherwise, I'm probably going to be approached with, can I get you any tequila-based drink? Can I get you any rum-based drink or vodka-based drink? It's never whiskey, first and foremost. And as far as, and that's just the bartender experience. When I go into a store, I walk in and it's almost immediate, that's where the liqueurs are, ma'am. That's where the tequilas are, ma'am. Um, and I'll walk right over to the whiskey and they'll kind of look at me and go, you know, oh, you having a party? You know, did someone send you out to, to with a grocery list or something like that? Nope, nope, I... I what I'm doing I know why I'm here I know what I want um, but thank you <laughs> so how do you deal with sales associates then when they do that sort of thing I get really assertive I put my foot down very quickly I do the same thing with a bartender as well the second that they try to push something on me it's very nope I know what I want this is what I want point me in the direction of this if it's a store that I've never been in before or pour me a little bit of that or if I'm at a bar that may have some fancier stuff that they may not have on a shelf I'll poke around and ask about it and I'll make sure to drop really big names that only <laughs> I, I'm reluctant to say it but only like the super mega unicorn hunters are gonna know I'll talk about a bookers or I'll talk about 
um, even a Stag Junior or a Colonel Taylor barrel proof. There was one bar I went into where I knew they had uh, Sazerac 18. I said, where's the Sazerac 18? That's, that's what I want. I put my foot down really quick. Well, good. Good. Nice. Yeah. You, you take you take the bull by the horns. Yeah, and at that yeah. point, they usually back off and they look a little skittish and they, they don't bother me much yeah. more after that. So some of our listeners may know, Hannah, you worked for the Idaho yeah. State Liquor Division. Uh, you certainly were a part-timer there, and I forget exactly how long. It was more than six months. Enough to where you started getting regular patrons yeah. coming to you. Yeah. But there were some challenges. Oh, so mm -hmm. tell me, what what happens when a guy <laughs> comes into the store and you're there? Well, it would all depend on... I'm sure that the, it's very dependent on the store that you're actually in. The store that I worked for, the crew that I worked with, absolutely phenomenal people. I love every single one of them. I still go and visit them now that I don't work there. But they knew my background in whiskey. They respected my background in whiskey. And when they themselves had questions about it, they would be asking me my opinions. Sometimes we agreed. Sometimes we, we didn't. But when we would have a new patron come in and staring at the bourbon wall for however long, and you know how they look, we've all seen them, they have that deer in the headlights look. It's there's so many things on the wall, there's so many price points, there's so many fancy bottles, pretty labels, etc., 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 and they just get overwhelmed and you know it. So I'd go over there and be, what can I help you with? What kind of flavor profile are you looking for? What's your price point today? Things like that. What have you had before? And if they didn't immediately know me, they'd be, oh, you know, I, eh, I'm not sure. I don't really know what I'm looking for. I, I'm just, I'm just looking. I'm just looking. And okay, you know, just keep looking. Just let me know if you need anything. And almost immediately, as soon as I turn my back and go stock a different part of the store or go help somebody else in a different part of the store, I'd see that very same person go up to one of my male coworkers and be, what can you tell me about such and such bourbon? And almost every single time, the people that I worked with would actually go, hey, Hannah, come over here. We got a question for you. And then force this person to interact with me and back down after they knew, hey, she might actually have some information that would be worth knowing that could impact my purchase that could impact where I go next in my whiskey journey after a few times there I would get regular patrons that would come in and be like okay Hannah I had this one by your recommendation that was really good what's the next one what's the next step I mostly got into rye because I had a guy come in wanting to know about rye and I needed to broaden my own rye library to be able to help this man. Woe is me having to try rye whiskey, right? You know, dang it, I have to do product research on this stuff. That sucks. But he'd come in and every time I would have a new rye that I would have tried or a couple new ryes and I'd be able to say, all right, well, if you really like this one, let's steer you this way. And it, it was, it was really good. The relationships sometimes took a long time to develop, but once they were there, they, they were there. 
So now we'll talk a little bit about feelings. Yeah. Certainly you've been on both sides of that spectrum. Mm -hmm. How does it feel when people doubt your knowledge just because you're a woman? It's insulting. It's, it is insulting. And I wish I could say that whiskey was the only thing that ever happened in. It's not. Um, like I said, my background is in forensic anthropology. I worked with a lot of law enforcement and there's a bit of a stigma there as well when they'd look at a scientist and expect that it'd be the men who would know what more, know more of what's going on. So it's a familiar feeling to me, a familiar, oh, all right, you're one of those guys. Got it. I'll just find a different way to put my foot down that I know what I'm talking about and you don't have to like me. Like, God, I don't need to be liked. <laughs> I, I don't ever need to be liked. But if I'm in a field where I do know something and I know that I know it, I am going to find a way to demand that respect. And my feelings regarding it can vary day to day. Sometimes the insult feels a bit more pronounced. Sometimes I just, psh, I don't have time for this today. It's another one of those people I'm gonna move on and find some, something else to do. It, it really depends. For me, I mean, this doesn't really happen with the with the bourbon or whiskey side of it. But, I mean, I would experience this, like, oh, what do you know? What do you know about this? Uh, for example, I worked at a hardware pet supply agricultural store. And I got pretty good at hardware. I got pretty good at hardware. I could tell you what the difference is between a certain nut versus another. I could tell you what you needed for a certain project. So a lot of the times, like I would know what I was doing. I, I was a cashier and a lot of the clientele, they were, they would be the majority of the people who would overlook me, yeah. who would overlook me very, very easily. In fact, I had one customer, I think about this experience a lot. And I had one customer who said, what are you doing here? Shouldn't you be doing housework? Shouldn't you be doing cleaning, cooking? And I flat out told him, well, thankfully, we live in the 21st century. I'm a woman with dreams, and I don't need this. And then he was like, oh, no, no, come on. But that, that's not what you really like. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Have a good day. Bye. Like, okay. I, I don't stand for that. There's, like, that's, a, there's a lot of presumptuous behavior. Yeah, and honestly, it that's was... That's more insulting than anything, in yeah. my opinion. I think, about, I think about that experience a lot because it taught me just how hard I have to prove myself every single day. I'm not a person who needs to be liked, but I'm a person who wants to be respected. Like, I, if I have knowledge in something and I can offer you that help and you're willing to take it, cool. You're an awesome person, but if you're just not wanting to listen and you're putting your foot down, I, I have other fish to fry. Yeah. It's, it's really just that. Well, a long time ago, Hannah, you're still in school, I think, um, 
isn't the forensics field predominantly women? It actually is. <laughs> it actually is. The Every time during the entirety of my education, if we were ever called out to a site to do any kind of recovery, any kind of investigation, my boss and my boss's boss were both women. My immediate coworker was also a woman. We, the, the four of us would always be the central unit as to what's actually going on. We did have a guy working with us. He was great. He knew what, he always knew what he was doing, but he was also kind of the comic relief. <laughs> but don't you know, every single time we'd go out there, he'd be the one approached first. And that's sad. Yeah. And that's really sad. I, you know, maybe it's because I'm a dad, I'm more conditioned to see that sort of thing. Um, and frankly, there's, there's no room for it, yet it happens all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm sure in the music field. Yes. You, you see it as well. I mean, it, I this do, isn't yeah. just a bourbon or a whiskey mm -hmm. thing. It's, it's. Well, there are several very, very famous ensembles. I mean, I'm a clarinetist and it's interesting because when you audition for a symphony, the first audition's usually blind, you know? Uh, so they just hear your sound kind of like the voice or, you know, that show that yeah. basically, yeah. You, yeah. Well, it's come to my attention and I've learned about it to where there are several musical ensembles that are very, very famous. You know, like you don't even have to be a musician to know them, but some of them didn't even get their first female clarinetist until the 1980s. Wow. And yeah. they had been in existence for over a century. That's pretty crazy. And that just shows just how much harder I have to work. I mean, it, you could get into the whole, like, the wage sort of thing. You could get into those controversial issues, but, I mean, it's a fact that I have to work so much harder yeah. just, to earn my place. Just getting your foot in the door. Just getting yeah. my foot into the yeah. door. I have to fight tooth and nail. <laughs> yeah. Before before the conversation about wage could even start, and we're not yeah. going to go there, no. but yeah. before that conversation could even start, it's a matter of can you get in the door. So I'm going to steer us back to, to yep, whiskey. Yeah, totally <laughs> derailed. Totally derailed. Um, so boxes are you're amazing. you're in the you're in the store. Yeah, and you're you're there to buy a whiskey, whatever it might be, or you're at the bar and you're you're there to to get a pour. And have you ever had a bartender or a sales associate say, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, Hannah, early on. But have they ever tried to steer you towards a feminine drink or, yeah. or a girly drink yeah. or whatever it might be? Mm -hmm. So what do you do? I go, that's nice, but <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is what I want. Or sometimes I'll go, yeah, sure, I'll have that because, listen, I love a feminine drink or a girly drink if we're going to use those terms. The traditionally feminine or traditionally girly drink, I contend that anybody can drink them man or woman, but whatever. Um, I like those drinks too. I love a pina colada. 
or a Bellini. I, I love a Bellini. <laughs> like, I love all of those things. I'll go, yeah, sure. I'll have that. That sounds great. Give me the margarita. Also, could you pour me uh, two ounces of whatever bookers you've got back there neat? I'll have them both. <laughs> we did that the last yeah. time we were out. Yeah. 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 I can't I, remember what I, we had then. I, I do that pretty often. So it's unfair because the last time we were out, the the place knows us. Yeah, well. So yeah. they they know us to the degree, especially several of the waiters, they don't bat an eye anymore when mm -hmm. you guys order. <laughs> but there are certain people that will look, mm -hmm. and, and I see it. Mm -hmm. They'll look out of the corner of my, do you even know what you're doing? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and I, I have to, as as the dad guy, the dad figure here, I have to step back and, and just kind of smile to myself. Yeah, they do know what they're doing. And I clock those people too, because sometimes it's not the associate or the bartender that's giving you the look. You know, you say, I want a neat bourbon, two ounces, and it's something that's no one's ever heard before. You'll see other patrons at the table next to you or in the down a couple rows or shelves away from you look at you like whoa well what are you doing what are you doing and if i am at a restaurant and when that pour comes my way i'll actually seek that person out with my <laughs> eyes and i will make eye contact with them and i will take a sip of my whiskey at that point to go Next time, keep your eyes to yourself there, friend. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, I was going to just say, have you ever felt judged? Well, clearly you have felt judged. Yeah. But I, I love that approach. I didn't, I've never even known you to do that. I, yeah. I, yeah. That's a, that's a whole new thing. I am, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty assertive when it comes to this. I know what I want. I like what I want, what I want obviously. And um, I'm not going to be ashamed of it. And I'm going to make you feel ashamed for looking at me funny. That's, that'll put a smile on my face. <laughs> See, for me, I mean, there aren't too many things I really pay attention to. <laughs> I'll be honest, like, when I, when I know what I want, I focus on what I want wholeheartedly. So I actually don't see any of the stares like the, oh, I want that too. Like, I want that too. And, like... Maybe there are a few people who are just like, what is she doing? <laughs> like, well, y'all can have what you have. I I'm just here to drink, eat, and have fun. Mm -hmm. That That's really all I care about. Like, I don't really care what people think. Obviously, like, in a work setting, like, of course I want to do good at my job. Of course I want to do well. But, you know, when it's just like letting loose... I don't care. People can think whatever, honestly. So along with this judging, do you think there's a stigma around women who drink whiskey? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's what there. is that stigma? I think there's a couple different ones. One, we're looked at as some very objective unicorn of, oh my God, she drinks whiskey. Like she can hold her liquor. She's so fantastic. Like I gotta get to know her or whatever. And that one can be pretty harmful because actually I'm not drinking this for your sake there, buckaroo. I'm drinking it because I want it. 
that's one stigma. I think that one's probably the most prolific. If you look anything up online, women drinking whiskey, that's one of the first search results that you're going to get are forums talking about why women drinking whiskey is sexy, what makes it sexy, etc, etc. I think another one is, oh, she she's a hard ass. She's... Take no crap. She doesn't Leave no take names. any crap. Leave no names. And maybe that's me, okay? Maybe I conform to the stigma. I don't know. But the reality is, is, you know, if someone wants to genuinely talk whiskey with me, you're more than welcome to come up and talk to me about it. You know, I will engage in conversation. If you come into the conversation open and willing to respect whatever I'm going to say and not just immediately jump down this whole flirtation rabbit hole, I'll, I'll be responsive and I'll, I'll ask you questions, you ask me questions. It can be a very healthy conversation. And I've had many of those as well. Those, I think, are the really big stigmas here. Yeah, either of you had opportunity to help other women in the liquor store not really for me uh yes i have and those relationships are uh fewer and farther between there aren't quite as many of us in the field as there are men it is very male dominated i certainly recognize that but there would be women who would come in or women who are maybe afraid to ask for what they want or they're looking for something new and don't really know the direction that they want to go in and they come into it also knowing that it's male dominated and feel intimidated by a male presence even though like i said the people that i worked with were all fantastic and everybody was more than willing to help everyone but sometimes you would have a woman come up to you because you're also a woman and you're not going to make fun of them. You're going to actually listen, take into account what they have had, what they may be looking for. And those conversations are always very like, okay, well, I really like this and, but I, I don't know. I'm, I, want to stick to this one thing that I know I like but I also really want to try something new the conversations can be really really great and frankly it's probably no different than it was for me when I started on my own journey yet I didn't have that stigmatism I guess mm -hmm. that someone was going to look down on me I was just Perfectly frank. I walked in with my hat in my hand and I said, I don't know anything. Help me. Yeah, but you look like someone who would drink whiskey. You know, for yeah. people who, who don't know what he looks like, he's a bigger dude. <laughs> <laughs> Long, white hair. Basically an angry Santa is what we call him. We call him angry. He, he, he can look a bit like an angry Santa, especially when he water skis. <laughs> okay. Just so you know, I have not water skied in a long time. Okay. But goatee, glasses, long white hair. You know, you look like a guy who could drink whiskey. Fair yeah. enough. Fair so, you know, whenever, you know, you would go in and say, I don't know about this or I don't know about that, there's an immediate respect that you garner because 
you already have the traditional foundation of what a whiskey drinker should be and look like. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to wrap this up with a, an interesting question. You know, what impact do you think women can and should have on this industry? Oh, lots. Lots. I mean, the thing is, it's like, I understand that there is a, a bourbon boom, if you will. Well, anatomy-wise, women have more taste buds, mm -hmm. and we have more olfactory sensors. Imagine what we could do to lure that much more people to say like, oh, I can actually get this. Like it, a lot of the bourbon descriptions, I understand you want to keep it brief. Like they'll say, oh yes, you'll get a, a warm hint of spices. You'll get chocolates, but it's very, very brief. Well, imagine what else you could get. Yeah. Women could really inform you on that and increase the bourbon economy, I think. I think so. And we, I, there are women who are getting involved in the distilling process and putting the collective foot in the door that way and making people turn their heads and making people respect what can be brought to the table more. And I think that's really great. Before, you know, so th that would be, I, I totally agree with Alora. I think all those things would be really beneficial to have with women in the, in the field. But dad, how do you think women can impact the bourbon industry? from a male perspective. Well, first of all, I'm happy that you guys do this with me. I mean, I love the fact that I get to sit down and we get to talk about the day's events and we get to have a pour together. Yeah. I mean, that to me yeah. is just, it's priceless. And I can't tell you the number of people that I share this at work. And frankly, I know that many of these folks are envious of, of what I have. I think what you're going to find in our news segment coming up that it's going to blow you away. Oh. I've, I've got some really cool stuff that we're going to talk about. But uh, first of all, for this episode here, uh, this section, I would like to thank you both for sharing your experiences and thoughts on women in the liquor store and beyond. Yeah, we certainly have one beyond. beyond. And uh, these are some perspectives that I hope many of you out there listening may not have heard before or may need to refrain from what you've been doing. Or take, take a look at the woman next to you and say, boy, I bet you she likes that <laughs> more than I thought she did. There we go. At any rate, I salute you both. Thank you. Yes, it was, it was awesome. purchasing whiskey or for that matter any goods products and or services it is likely due to the behavior of specific individuals or establishments which is not acceptable or excusable in any circumstance discrimination or harassment experienced by a woman or anyone in this context should be reported to the appropriate authorities or organizations
that the news was going to blow us away. Well, Dad, blow us away. What's the news today? I've got my Weller antique. I am ready. All right. So our first story tonight, and I've been trying to tie our lead stories in with the topics. Maybe you noticed. I have noticed. <laughs> You're not as sneaky as you thought you were. So We know you. Um, in the past two weeks, I've been scouring the news wires and finding different stories. And my first story is uh, one written by a woman who, her name is Gabriel Nicole Farms. She's a whiskey expert and writer. And she wrote a piece for Huffington Post uh, called Women Who Are Pushing the Boundaries in the Whiskey World. Um, she starts out, and both you girls talked about this a little bit, women still are facing microaggressions. Ah, and I've oh, never even okay. heard of a microaggression. Yeah. So I had to look it up. A microaggression is an indirect or subtle or unintentional discrimination against people of a specified group. So, like whenever someone would look at us funny, exactly that, right. that, that would be a microaggression. Yep, when I typed in microaggression into a Word document, Word did not know that was a real word, so I really had to do some research on it. <laughs> anyway, I hope I am not in that capacity of a microaggressor. Um, she said that their women are still facing that. Um, even though in 2019, a study found that women account for about one-third of the whiskey sales in the United States. That's a sizable number. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of course, that number is, has, is expected to increase. And the other thing is, guys, women hold 50% or more of all the money that are, is out there. <laughs> So we probably ought to be paying attention to this. Laura, you mentioned with your skill sets, your tasting ability, your backgrounds, women in roles inside the industry still are experiencing this discrimination. Yes. So she wrote this article with a focus on the awareness of women in leadership positions. So the first person she highlighted was a, somebody by the name of Amanda Victoria. She's a CEO and founder of Symphony Spritz Company. She has nearly 20 years experience in the industry. Wow. She's facing challenges not only as a woman, but also as a Latina, uh -huh. trying to go in and get loans for her company. Well, her company, Sipany Spritz Company is a RTD canned cocktail company. You guys know what RTD is? Stands for ready to drink, which is a real big craze going on right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The first canned cocktail that she had in her lineup was called Sipany Royale, and it was a distinct four year old rye whiskey. It had the backbone of the cocktail that was in her can. So was it like an old-fashioned, maybe? It, something probably. Like okay. okay. Her love of whiskey came from her work in multiple New York City cocktail bars, as well as formal studies in advertising and marketing and communications. So she has all of the things going for her. Exactly. Mm -hmm. She knows the background 
inside yep. and out, yep. knows the direction she wants to take. I yep. like it. So the nice. next person that was in uh, Miss Farm's article was Tracy Franklin. She's a whiskey educator and a distillation apprentice. Now, we talk distillation apprentice. She's worked at Glenfiddich. She's a whiskey brand ambassador for Angel's Envy, Ardbeg, Johnny Walker, and Hudson. Those are some really big names. Like, yeah, there's yeah. quite a few yeah. big ones there. Then Nicole Young, she's the uh, CEO and co-founder of Frisky Whiskey. <laughs> I like that name. <laughs> <laughs> yep. See, that, that's an example of a woman like taking ownership. And I, I love that too, turning the stigma on its head. Yep. Love that. Her experience is in the background of recipe development. And she is a leading food and beverage editor. She hosts and produces broadcast content for E! News and ABC's World News Now. Oh, wow. She is the only black female owner of a flavored whiskey brand. See, I love this, that not only is this a triumph of women getting their foot in the door, but minorities also getting their foot in the door and showing like, you know what? It doesn't matter where you come from. You have some really valuable input, valuable insight, You've done your homework. Everybody deserves a seat at this table. I, I love that. That's at really this bar. awesome. That's really awesome. Yep. And she's definitely, but all of them, yep. all yeah. of them have earned their spots. So then there's Naomi Leslie, the Balvini brand ambassador. She trained in Scotland at the Balvini distillery. She's immersed herself in the craft of whiskey making she is, as I said, the brand ambassador for Balvini, and she's focused on what makes sipping whiskey a divine experience. <laughs> oh, that's, that's and awesome. She's a certified cigar sommelier. I can't imagine getting your foot in that door as a woman. That that Man. one that one I can't offer any any input on. But I, I imagine that'd be equally difficult. So Probably, we've all yeah. heard of Uncle Nearest. Yeah. Okay. I had some of that last week. <clears throat> Fawn Weaver is the CEO of the Uncle Nearest whiskey brand. She actually researched Green's background and went to the Green family descendants to begin the brand back in 2017. <laughs> she moved from her home in California to Tennessee to do this. She believes that strongly. That's, that's awesome. That's okay. commendable. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay. Then many of us have watched the uh, documentary called Neat. Mm. In it, oh, yes. Marianne Eves. I love her. <laughs> was featured as the Castlin Key Master Distiller. She began her career at Brown Foreman and rose to a position of master taster. She left in 2015 to join Castle Key, and she has now branched out to having her own company called Eve's Blind, where she has put together samples of different things a person should be able to smell and taste, and she goes all over the world promoting this product. Hmm. That's an awesome job. Incidentally, she was the first female distiller in Kentucky 
to hold that oh title my. since Prohibition. What? Yep. Wow. Wow. Kudos. George Dickel. Nicole Austin is the master distiller for George Dickel. Before she became master distiller there, she graduated with a chemical engineering background. She became the master blender for Kings County Distillery in 2010, joined Cascade Hollow, which is George Dickel, uh, back in 2018, and in 2020 became Artisan Spirit Magazine's inaugural distiller of the year. Women scientists, too. Yep. It's everyone. We're everywhere. <laughs> Our very first <laughs> inaugural news episode, we talked about Elizabeth McCall. She is the master distiller at Woodford Reserve and became that position this past February. Her background, she started with Old Forester, a Brown Foreman company, back in 2009 in research and development. She began a mentorship under Chris Morris, then master distiller, and she became an assistant master distiller in 2018. She's the uh, third master distiller at Woodford in the past 26 years. And her, uh, her belief is that she said bourbon should be uh, enjoyed for everybody. Amen to that. That is so true. Now we have Emma Walker back over in Scotland. She's the master blender for Johnny Walker. Laura, you talked about people with a good nose. Well, certainly she has got a good nose. <laughs> you have she is to. Johnny Walker's master blender. She's worked as a pharmaceutical chemist before actually going there. So you talk about the different things she's done. She's been with Diego for 14 years and became the master blender in 2022. Is she related to Johnny Walker? Oh, she's not. Well, that's a shame. <laughs> Missed Man. opportunity, but all the same. Yep. That's Congratulations. Cool. Yeah, she got her job on merit. Now, those were just in Ms. Farms' article. So going further, this person has a tremendously long title. I would not want to have it on a business card. <laughs> Carolyn Busan is the global account manager of Dufry and West Europe, a global travel retail company, works for Brown Foreman, and is a member of the steering committee of the Woman in Travel Retail. Wow. She's assisted Brown Foreman's global travel program to reach 50% female leadership last year. She's part of Brown Foreman's commitment to diversity and inclusion, and it's part of the Many Spirits, One Brown Foreman program with a goal to grow senior female leadership representation to 40% within the company in the next seven years. So now you might have noticed a little common thread here. At least I did. Brown Foreman has come up a couple of times. I almost poured an Old Forester tonight, and now <laughs> I'm really kind of regretting that I didn't. Okay. Same. So it turns out Brown Foreman is a major player in promoting women. Brown Foreman's a Fortune 1000 company, and they have all kinds of programs. In fact, one of their people, Kristen Hawley, is Chief People Executive Vice President 
and she also heads the Places and Communications Department. Ms. Hawley has over 26 years of support for female employees. Brown Foreman has multiple internal mentorship programs. One of them is called GROW. It's Growing Remarkable and Outstanding Women. And she has a general management readiness program set in place. She sets leadership goals for the staff. And I'm certain she's doing it for other people other than women. And then they have a black female experience initiative as well. Other Brown Foreman people, Dr. Rachel Berry is the master blender for Benriac. Benriac. <laughs> Glendronic. Glendronic. <laughs> And, is, he, the, and you get the last oh one. Oh gosh, Glenn Glassog. Glenn Glassog. I, yeah. I would say probably yeah. Glenn Glassog. All is, of this these. This is my liquor store yeah. information yep. coming in. All here. of these are Brown Foreman companies. Then there's Lexi Amaker Phillips. She is the assistant distiller at Jack Daniels, also a Brown Foreman company, and Jackie Zycon, former master taster at Old Forester. And now she is head taster at Hidden Door Whiskey. Wow. Congratulations so, to you all. That's yep. so some there, incredible that's amazing. achievements there. Yep. So in other whiskey news, we're going to move on to some other things here. This is kind of a big one. Kentucky legislature has passed a bill to phase out the bourbon barrel tax. Now, bourbon barrel tax doesn't seem like a big deal until you start hearing a little bit more about it. Kentucky's bourbon industry barrel taxes hit an historic high in January 2022 of $40 million they collected just in taxes. Wow. <laughs> the Kentucky Distillers Association, the KDA, states that by taking this tax away, it strikes a fair balance to other industries. In other words, if I manufactured all, let's say, bourbon barrels, I am not taxed on bourbon barrels. Yet the state's number one industry has been taxing ever since prohibition was abolished. So this phasing out begins in 2026, and by 2043 the tax will be gone. So the supporters all are saying, hey, this is a good thing. We're going to be able to generate more growth. We're not going to get taxed as high so we can we can build new distilleries. We sustain more than 22,000 jobs in the state. We've got an annual payroll of 1.2 billion. This is all a good thing. The current barrel tax goes to fire districts, libraries, school districts, cities, counties, and other Kentucky governments. So here lies the rub. We've all heard of certain rickhouses collapsing or catching on fire. Yeah. Currently, the fire districts are mostly in rural counties. So they're all concerned, where are we going to get the money to support this? So oh. as an example, Marion County, around the area where we're talking here, Lebanon happens to be the county seat. The county has 19,500 people in it. It's equally centered between Louisville, Lexington, and Frankfurt. So they're wondering where they're going to get 
$2.6 million in barrel property taxes going forward. Huh. Laredo, Kentucky, home of Maker's Mark, gets 65% of its budget from the tax. So this is that something is they're oh, going to have to worry about. So distillers in the counties where the bourbon is stored have agreed to protect funding for ambulance services, fire departments, and school district. But I think there's going to be something we're going to have to watch here. That money has to come from somewhere. Yeah. Another one here, we've got whiskey dominating online alcohol sales. I will make sure that everybody understands that not every state, county, or city we can do online sales in. But there's an entity called Micmac, and they did a study, and the shopping index for alcohol e-commerce um, states that alcohol sales are projected to reach $40 billion in the U.S. by 2026. That's just three years away. Whiskey-based products lead the online purchases of this. The average alcohol shopping cart has about six items. Of course, they... Uh, ready-to-drink canned cocktails are the number one, followed by, of all things, peanut butter whiskey. Oh, an abomination oh, for sure. Geez. Boy, we then, have our we have our opinions on uh, that. Uh, <laughs> then elderflower liqueur, vodka products, and rum and beer fill out the bottom ten places. Mixers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then we've got uh, selling platforms. Instagram, of all places, is the highest purchase intent rate where they're talking clicks to jump from there to somewhere ah, else okay 16.7 um, percent huh. of the leads are coming from them drizzly drives the most in-market traffic for alcohol brands total wine follows with 15.2 percent of shoppers and kroger of all things their online presence is 6.5 percent hmm I found it kind of interesting that alcohol shoppers typically buy midweek, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday online, with Thursdays generating the highest number of clicks at nearly 15%. Interesting. I wonder why Thursday. Getting ready for the weekend. Right, yeah. And this last story, this one's kind of a fun one. Ardbeg, over in Scotland, launches a barbecue-inspired whiskey. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay, you okay. got my attention. Okay. So Isla-based Ardbeg has launched its first limited edition barbecue-inspired whiskey, Ardbeg Bizarbecue. <laughs> Try okay. saying that ten times. Yeah, like I had trouble saying it once. Uh, developed using experimental cast toasting process using double-charred oak casks, Pedro Jimenez sherry casks, and Ardbeg's own unique barbecue cask. It's going to be a single malt, bottled at 50.9 ABV. That's pretty high for yeah. a scotch, actually. Yeah. And it should it should complement barbecuing with flavors of smoky barbecue with a meaty, peaty punch. <laughs> It'll retail for about $95 US. Oh. It's available at the distillery right now, so rush over and get me some. <laughs> and it has a global launch scheduled for later this year. Interesting. So as always, you can access and read full stories uh, of everything we talked about here 
on our uh, Whiskey for the Ages website. Click on the podcast link, drop down to the podcast episodes. There'll be a link to take you to all of these stories and many, many more. Okay, so that's the news. Anna, what else do you have for us tonight? Well, we've just got a quick wrap up on kind of where we're going in the next couple weeks. Uh, we are going to do a little spotlight series. Next episode specifically is going to be on some 90 proof whiskeys. We're just going to have a couple pours of some of our favorite 90 proofs, talk about what we're looking for in a 90 proof whiskey, and maybe steer you towards one you may not have tried. We'll see. Following week we're going to do the same thing but with a focus on the on a distillery. I don't know if we've actually picked which distillery yet. We have yet. not. We have not. There are so many options we could go from there. Uh, after that we're going to have an interview with our one of our friends we've actually been on his show before uh, his name is greg walters and he's going to come on and we're going to have a fun chat with him again it's always nice to catch up with him and then so the after greg walters we are going to be doing our live stream we're just going to sit down with you guys and chat with you let's just have a pour together see what it's all about tell us what you're having we'll tell you what we're having obviously and we'll just have a nice fun conversation get to know you guys a little bit more you've certainly got to hear our voices plenty uh after that we're going to be going into our whiskey history do dad's pretty excited for that one i know he yep. is he's been that's pouring his. over the books <laughs> that's and his forte that's yeah. his forte and again, lastly, we've mentioned it many, many times. We are going to have that listener's pick review. And we still don't have that uh, poll up yet, but it will be soon. And as always, feel free to comment. You know, share your feedback. Share your thoughts. What do you guys like? What, what do you guys like in a bourbon? Maybe you could educate us as to what we should do. <laughs> because we have so many places to choose from. Maybe you guys can help narrow it down. Please help us narrow it down. <laughs> we have so many. Not to sound desperate, but honestly, yeah, just and feel free to give us a, a bit of feedback. In this particular episode, we'd certainly love to hear your feedback on women in and the whiskey world. Do you have any female loved one who enjoys a glass Do with you? you? Have any Are personal... you our lovely female friend out there? Do you have any personal stories that you'd like to share? Yeah. Uh, we, we'd love to grow this community, make it friendly for everybody, make it open to everybody. One of the women Dad mentioned up there uh, before, bourbon is for everyone. I love that. That's really, really true. It should be for everyone. Well, guys, like we do in every episode, we'd like to thank you for listening in. And girls, this has been a fun one for me both as a male and as dad. <laughs> so let's uh, send it off like we always do. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.